hope you picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes. Like I say, it will be brief, but I think very, very uh, important. Uh, you've seen, of course, the uh, presentation of Phase 3, what, uh, what it involves, and uh, I simply uh, want to challenge the church family now as we uh, kick off Phase 3 today with a message entitled, Unity, uh, the key to successfully completing uh, God's work. And a great example is the book of Nehemiah, which is also about a building uh, renovation plan in a sense. Uh, their challenge, if you're familiar with the book, was the monumental task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that had been destroyed 150 years earlier when the Babylonians invaded the nation of Israel. Now, I want us to draw several lessons from the third chapter of Nehemiah. But you may, if you're familiar with the book at all, you may be very surprised that I would choose uh, chapter 3. Because Nehemiah 3 is not only the most neglected chapter in the entire book of Nehemiah, you could make an argument that it's the most neglected chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, why? Because all you read from beginning to end is the names of the workers who worked on the wall and the place that they worked. You see this continual phrase, next to him, next to him, and then it identifies the workers and uh, uh, what section of the wall uh, that they, uh, they built. Uh, most people put this chapter right up there with the uh, genealogies in the Bible. But what is missed, now listen, this is very important. What is missed is the incredible picture of unity. As the people come together, working side by side, which enabled them to complete this project in 52 days, which was nothing less than miraculous at that time. Now, you'll notice in your sermon notes, I've simply taken the word unity and uh, have created an acrostic uh, to highlight how the people united in Nehemiah's day to successfully complete the work God called them to do. And if we're to be successful in completing phase three, we would be very, very wise to follow their example. So the letter U, unto the glory of God. Unto the glory of God, which, of course, is what? The purpose for God's work. should be the motivation behind what we do. And so as we enter phase three, we should realize the motivation is unto the glory of God. That's why we do what we do. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, verses 17 and 18 in your sermon notes. This is Nehemiah who spoke, speaking to the children of Israel in the city of Jerusalem, says, Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Then they said, Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Now to fully appreciate these verses, you need to understand the conditions of the city of Jerusalem at this time. 
Although the children of Israel had been back in Jerusalem for many, many years, the living conditions could not have been worse. And let me just try to quickly paint for you uh, a picture. Uh, mentally, mentally and emotionally, they were totally de demoralized. Uh, they, were, uh, they had been down and out for many, many years. The people were very, very discouraged. Uh, they were pessimistic about their, about their future. And to put it in very simple terms, they sort of carried the label losers. And that's how they were viewed. That's how they viewed themselves. That's what, the way even, even the enemies of God uh, viewed them, is they were continually being scorned, mocked, and ridiculed uh, by the enemies of God. Economically, uh, they were very, very depressed. Uh, a long famine had forced many of them at this time to, to mortgage their homes and their property to have enough money just, just to buy grain for food. To make matters worse, they were being heavily taxed by the Persians who ruled over them at this particular time in history. The financial situation was so bad that we discover in the book of Nehemiah that many of the people actually sold their children and, and many times themselves as indentured servants to other more wealthy Jews in order to just uh, survive. In terms of security, they were constantly in danger. You read the book of Nehemiah and you discover literally on every side, and I'm not embellishing, north, south, east, and west, they were surrounded by Arab tribes who hated them that they had returned, who were just looking for any excuse to attack and destroy them. Bottom line, bottom line, at this time in their history, they were doing nothing more than surviving. They had accepted the status quo and deep, deep apathy had set in. Then here comes crazy Nehemiah. Remember, he was the cupbearer of the king of Persia. So here he comes into Jerusalem, and he has this crazy plan to rebuild the walls and to restore Jerusalem to her former glory unto the glory of God. Now, from the people's perspective, the timing of all of this made absolutely no sense in light of their economic situation and the lack of security that existed. But here's the amazing thing about the book of Nehemiah, and please do not miss this simple but powerful point. As the people took their focus off their problems, and as they united to complete this work, Unto the glory of God, not only were the walls rebuilt, but their community was literally revived. They were revived spiritually and their, and their witness before a lost world and the enemies of God was restored. Now look at Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 in your notes at how the work began. I think this is very significant. Then it says, and Elijah, the high priest arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. Notice where they began. Where they began rebuilding the walls, at the sheep gate. And that is very, very significant. It was through this gate 
that the animal sacrifices were brought. The little lambs which pointed to Jesus. The temple had been rebuilt at this time. And so they were back to worshiping God. They were back to the sacrificial system. And these little lambs were brought through this gate. These little lambs that pointed to Jesus. The Lamb of God who would what? Take away the sins of the world. Now the fact that they began at the sheep gate indicated their desire to put God first and to give God the glory. And as they got, and as they did, God met every need. Uh, the book of Nehemiah is a great example of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek what? First. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Another example of having the right attitude and motive in completing a building project is the book of Haggai, which is about rebuilding the temple. And that's what we'll be uh, looking at tonight at 6 o'clock in our adult Sunday evening teaching series uh, over in Peacock Hall. Look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 8. Rebuild the temple. This is God speaking to his people. Rebuild the temple. Why? That I may be pleased with it and be glorified says the Lord. So as we enter phase three of our building renovation plan, we want to have the same motivation to complete this project unto the glory of God, realizing the only way we can complete it is what? Through God's provision to us, but then this work is to be done what? For Him, for His honor, for His glory. Look at the letter N, the next letter and that is needs were identified. The needs were identified which established the pattern for God's work. The needs were identified which established the pattern for God's work. You'll notice there in your sermon notes that Nehemiah divided this huge project into 41 manageable tasks. And this is the model that we've used in our entire renovation plan. We, complete, we started with phase one which was removing the church offices over to the Christian Life Center, and then we converted the entire downstairs into a wonderful preschool and children's area of ministry. And then, if you remember phase two, uh, if I remember right, it had as many as 24 different projects that were involved in that. And now phase three, which is going to have itself several faces. James mentioned we begin with the exterior, the curb appeal, and then moving from there into the vestibule, uh, expanding that, redoing the bathrooms, the elevator, uh, and then even into the sanctuary where we'll make some significant uh, renovations. So just like Nehemiah, we've, divide, we've, we've divided this uh, mammoth task of renovating the building into manageable tasks. Now here's the application that you see in your Notes, we succeed in a seemingly impossible task by breaking it down into small, achievable goals. Look at the next thing there in your sermon notes. The word repair, this is, this is interesting. The word repair is used 35 times in Nehemiah 3, and that word literally means to make strong or to make firm, indicating they were not satisfied with just a quick fix, but since they were rebuilding for God's glory, they gave their best. 
And the application here is summed up in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. Then look at the letter I. The individuals were enlisted, and this provides the people for God's work. And we are that people today. And what you discover in the book of Nehemiah, as you see there in your notes, God uses all kinds of people. He uses rich people, poor people, the the priests, the spiritual leaders, the common laborers. Uh, Nehemiah 3 names 75 different individuals and at least 15 different people groups who were invested in the work. Now, folks, people say this is a boring chapter, but not for those individuals. Think about that. Their names are immortalized in the Scripture. Now, we talk about the Hall of Fame of Faith in uh, Hebrews 11. Well, here in Nehemiah 3, you have the the Wall of Fame. Uh, As they rebuilt this wall, and and as God is so touched and moved that he immortalizes their names uh, in his word. And this is a beautiful example, isn't it, of Ephesians 4.16. Look at that verse in your notes. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part, that's you and I, does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And then as you follow along in your sermon notes, you notice that the leaders set the example. And as we go forward, yes, your elders, your your staff, your deacons, we need to step out in faith. We need to take the lead in terms of giving to this and ensuring that it's completed and provide that example that would be worth following. You see there, the rulers and priests were among the first to volunteer, not afraid to invest sacrificially in the work. The second thing you notice, some people did not support the work, and that's basically true in anything in all areas of life. Uh, Nehemiah 3.5, we read the Tekoites, made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. So, but what you discover in the book of Nehemiah, although all didn't get on board, they didn't focus on those. They just, they just stayed focused on the work, uh, to complete the work, and just continued to love those that may be uh, critical or have a little bit of a negative spirit. And then we discover some people with the extra mile. And you see a great example of this in uh, Nehemiah 3.20. It says, Barak uh, jealously repaired another section. That word in the Hebrew text literally means to to burn or to glow. And what this is saying about this wonderful man, he literally burned with enthusiasm for God's work. He literally glowed with excitement. And he not only did his section, he did another section. And God noticed that. And again, he mortalized this man's efforts uh, going the second mile uh, here uh, in, in the Scripture. And we need to remember going forward, God does not forget our work. Uh, Hebrews tells us he remembers what we do, and he rewards what we do in his grace. And then look at the letter T. So important, trust God. we got to trust God. This is the provision for God's work. Look at that next point in your notes, which is a key, maybe the key. The book of Nehemiah opens in prayer and closes in prayer. 
there are 12 different prayers in the book indicating a deep trust in God. And so as we go forward, we need to put our trust in God demonstrated uh, in our praying, demonstrated in our stepping out in faith and giving to this project. Uh, We see Nehemiah's trust in God in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, as he, as he seeks provision from the Persian king. Remember, he was the cupbearer of the king. And he goes to the king, and he basically says, you can sum it up in those two phrases there that you see in your notes, send me and give me. Send me, king, to do this great work for my God, and then I'm asking you for the provision for it. And he says, and the king granted them to me, but notice why. Because the good hand of God was on me. Nehemiah recognized the king was just a tool that was being used by God to make the provision. But he realized God was the source of all that had been given. Uh, And then look at the great statement of faith in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. I love this. The God, and this is is a statement he uses to encourage the people. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. And then, of course, that's when the people responded, yes, let us arise and build. And then look at a great uh, New Testament reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 in your notes, another encouragement to trust God. Each one, that's you and me, must give, James talked about the pledge cards that will be handed out, and every one of us will only have to determine the amount that we will give between now and May 1st is as that each one give as he has decided where? In his heart. As you seek God's direction. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. We don't want anybody to give out of pressure. We want you to give out of sheer delight in God. Seeing this as an opportunity to express your love, to express your worship. For God loves a cheerful giver. And then notice this next one. And God, in other words, as you give, and as you give, as God directs it from your heart, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you understand what that's saying? It's saying you step out in faith and you obey God. And as you step out in faith and obey God, Even if that's not adequate to cover the amount, God doesn't have a hand that's so short that he cannot save, right? And he'll provide. He'll provide what's needed. You know, one one of the uh, great illustrations that that, uh, drives this point home, and this is is a true story. It was a Christian speaker, uh, and uh, some years back, and he was speaking at a women's uh, missionary group in uh, Philadelphia, and there were a couple of hundred women present at this meeting, and before he spoke, the woman that was overseeing, she turned to the speaker, she, she read this letter from a missionary in South America, a medical missionary that needed a very important piece of equipment that was quite pricey, it was several thousand dollars. And she read this letter about this tremendous need and how it would just open up the work. And then she turned to the speaker and asked the speaker, would you please pray that God would provide this need for this medical missionary? And the speaker abruptly looked at her and he said, no, I will not pray. 
and she was just taken back. She thought he was just being funny or humorous, sort of laughed, and said, well, well, we'll ask our speaker to pray. He said, no, you didn't hear me. I will not pray. And he said, and here's what I'll do. I said, we'll take up an offering right now for this need. And what I ask, I don't want anybody to write a check. I just want every one of us to literally give every penny we have in our pockets. Just to, just to give that, and then we'll count it, and then I'll pray for what's needed beyond that once we've given. And he, and he said, and I will start with me. And he pulled out everything he had, you know, cash, penny, and he threw it down. And he says, now we're going to start coming up one by one. And he made them actually line up and dump it out. And when they were over, they counted it, and the need was totally met. And they rejoiced, but then the speaker, when he got up to speak, gave a very mild rebuke. He said, ladies, the sheer audacity to ask God for that provision when he had already met the need. You understand the point he was making? Is that often... The issue is our response to God. In other words, God's already made the provision. It's for us to give sacrificial. And here's my challenge to everyone in the Edgewood family. All I ask is you seek God. And I do challenge every one of us to give a sacrificial gift. And the reason I do that is, again, for your opportunity to demonstrate your love for Jesus. See it as an opportunity to worship Him. And, you know, you've heard me say this often from this pulpit. You know, sacrificial giving is what puts all of us in the eyes of God on equal footing. It doesn't make any difference if you're an elderly widow, barely making ends meet, just, you know, surviving off your Social Security, or you're a very uh, wealthy individual in this church family. God doesn't look at the amount you give. He looks at the level of sacrifice. And you see this most clearly in what portion of Scripture? The widow's might. You know, Jesus and his disciples, they're off at the temple. People are bringing their gifts into the treasury. And some of them are just bringing you know, truckloads of money and throwing it in. I mean, you know, and, and uh, if you were to translate it entire, you know, just literally giving tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this little widow shows up where there are two little, let's say, pennies and just throws them in the treasury. And Jesus goes, hey, guys, did you see that? That woman, that little widow just gave more than everyone else put together. And they said, Jesus is cracked up. I mean, what are you talking about? And he said, everyone that you just saw gave, they gave out of their surplus. There was no real sacrifice. They gave out of their surplus. But that widow, she gave everything that she had. Her giving put her life at risk, put her life in jeopardy in meeting her needs. So I tell you, that widow has given more than all the others put together. So from God's eyes, that sacrifice puts us all on equal footing. And so again... My challenge is that you give as God directs, cheerfully, 
and give sacrificially. I'll be the first to say, I don't want you to feel pressured. I just want you to give as God directs. And as, as God directs you to give, and as all in the church family give obediently, I believe we're going to meet this need of $350,000. And if we don't have the ability to meet that need, I think if we are obedient and we give according to God's direction, God will supernaturally. I remember, some of you were not here. Years ago, we had a significant building plan. I think it was back in the... Uh, 80s, I really can't, I don't know if it was the Christian Life Center or maybe it was the, uh, when we were trying to get out of debt. And some of you may remember, we had a very significant gift that enabled us to do that by a Jewish unbeliever who respected our church and its ministry. And it was a gift that just came out of the blue unexpectedly from an unbeliever that enabled us to meet that need. So, no telling how God's going to work as we are obedient, as we give sacrificially. Look at the letter Y, that last one. And that's we need to have a yeoman's attitude or yeoman's service, which provides the persistence for completing God's work. You know, that word yeoman, many of you think of a, what, petty officer in the Navy that does clerical work. But do you know how that word was originally used? It was used of a servant in a royal household. And isn't that what we are? We're servants in the royal household of God. Uh, Terry used the phrase, we're a royal priesthood. And we are. And we're part of a royal family as children of God. And we are servants to that, to that God. And look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So he built the wall, and the whole wall was joined to half its height. For the people, what? Had a mind to work. Now, folks, listen to me. I'm just about finished. It wasn't without difficulty. If you are familiar with the book of Nehemiah, they come to a point in the work. Matter of fact, just a little bit after this verse, where discouragement just sets in. They, say, they actually say, this work is too great for us. We cannot complete it. And, and they're about to throw in the towel. And Nehemiah had to come in and, and rally the troops and admonish them that God would be faithful as they are faithful. And he did rally them, and they were able to complete the work. They had internal conflicts among themselves as this work is going on that Nehemiah had to deal with. And there was external threats. The enemy was continually, was continually threatening them, and, uh, and they were actually having to bring weapons uh, to their work. Uh, you know, they'd have trowel in one hand, and they'd have a sword or a spear in the other because they didn't know at what point they would come under attack. And one of my favorite things about the book of Nehemiah, and you'll enjoy this, their enemies ridicule them as the work begins. And they say, even if a fox, you know, if you build this wall, even if a fox were to jump on that wall, a little fox, the wall's just going to come tumbling down. And I don't think they forgot that statement. Because if you're familiar with the book, when the wall, when the project is completed, do you remember how they celebrated? Nehemiah divided the, all the people into two parties. Each had, a, each had priests, each had a choir leading them. And all of them, all of them got on top of the wall. And they went in opposite directions, singing, 
praising God, playing their instruments. And then I love what it says in, in Nehemiah 12. It says, the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. I would have loved to see the enemies of God. When they, when they saw that celebration, when they heard that noise, and they saw this tremendous demonstration of the power, majesty, and glory of God. Because those enemies, they knew these people. They were losers. They knew there's only one explanation for this. God did it. Yes, God did it through his people, but God did it. And that's what we're trusting in this project. Yes, we're to cooperate with God, but we want ultimately the glory to go to him as we complete uh, this uh, project. And then here's my challenge to the EBC family. Look at that uh, statement. The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build, and may the good hand be of God be upon us. Amen? When we unite in Christ, when we unite in Christ, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Let me ask the uh, ushers right now. If you would come out, let's, let's give out the pledge cards. We'll give those out. I'll make just a few brief comments. Uh, I'll offer a dedicatory prayer, and then we'll be concluding the service. Come on, uh, men, you just start. Jerry, give me one more. Now, I'm not going to, as you get this, I'm not going to read over the card. You can read that. Uh, stepping out of faith, phase three. You'll see, as you open it up, there's the charge to the church. There's the purpose, of course, unto the glory of God. There's what will actually be done in this first part of phase three. Uh, you see the plan on the right-hand side. Again, we have from September to May 1st to raise $50,000, and you might want to know why we hit on that date. We thought that that would be best in the life of the church, that most of the construction being done over the summer months, where it would not affect us at Easter, and of course, and hopefully it would be done when we get to the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. We have a lot of very special presentations by the music ministry, so we thought that would be the best time to do the actual construction uh, covering those uh, projects. And then uh, in Menzies, as uh, James already, I'm so excited about this, that this is being done in honor of David and Carol uh, I think y'all know how much they personally mean to me. Brother David, literally, is a father. I know of no man that has had a walk with God as he is. He's the greatest man of God I've ever known. I have the utmost respect and love for him, and not just him, but Carol. They wouldn't be what he is without his wife, Carol. They are a team, and a beautiful team. And it's remarkable to see how God is continuing to use them uh, in these latter years of their life. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to uh, be able to honor them in this way. And then you'll notice... Uh, on the back of the plan, where you see the plan, is the actual pledge card. And it's very, very simple. I, we, with God's grace, 
pledge a, a total and give the total uh, that would be given in that period of time, and then you have the opportunity how you want to give it. You could give that weekly, you could give that monthly, quarterly, or it could be a one-time gift. So again, I, I or we pledge with God's grace a total. What will be the total amount that you will give between September and May 1st? And then how do you plan to give that total amount? You need to, do you plan to break it up into weekly uh, sort of installments or monthly or quarterly or a one-time gift? And, of course, put your name, uh, signature, phone number there. And uh, we're, we're wanting, as James mentioned, all these to be turned back in by October 8th. That's the second Sunday in October. Uh, and as I mentioned, every one of you will be receiving a packet in the mail that will have everything that James shared and uh, will give you all that uh, information. And, of course, if you have any questions, any of the elders are available to you. Uh, Dr. Carroll is not present today, but you have Alan here, you have Terry, myself, of course, James uh, is the best one, basically, to answer any question, but we should be able to answer anything you would ask. And, then, of course, Banks as well. He'll be back, uh, he'll be back uh, next, next Sunday. But we are so very, very excited and uh, we trust that God is going to, uh, again, this be more, we're trusting this is going to be more than a, just a building renovation. Uh, we're we're going to trust like in Nehemiah's day as we put God first, see this as an opportunity to love God, to worship God, to do this for the glory of God. We'll see Him renewing and reviving our lives and enhancing our, worship, uh, our witness in this uh, uh, community. So let me pray a prayer of dedication as we surrender this to the Lord. And then when I, after I pray that prayer of dedication, the choir has a special, and that choir will be our dismissal. The choir will be our dismissal. Once they finish, you are dismissed, and I'll be out in the vestibule uh, to, to greet you. So, if you're physically able, uh, would you pull down the kneelers, and let's get on our knees before God. If you're physically able, if you're not, again, you just remain right as you are, and let's uh, dedicate this project to the Lord. Father, first we want to thank you for your faithfulness uh, looking back to enable us to complete both phase one and phase two. And now, Lord, we want to uh, dedicate to you uh, this uh, first aspect of phase three as we deal with uh, the curb appeal, the uh, whole entrance area, the courtyard area, uh, all that James uh, uh, shared with us. And Father, we uh, entrust this project to you. Uh, Lord, we commit our lives uh, to do this unto your uh, glory. And Father, as we uh, commit to do it unto your glory, uh, I pray that you would lead me, uh, you would lead the elders, the staff, the deacons, every single member of this church, uh, that we would give as you direct us in our hearts. I pray that we'll see this as an opportunity uh, to give a sacrificial gift that we would uh, uh, realize as Mary of Bethany of old that when she anointed Jesus uh, prior to his death that truly no gift could ever be too great, uh, no sacrifice too extravagant for you. And so, Lord, uh, do help us see this as an opportunity to simply love you, to worship you through our pledging, through our giving. And, uh, 
and that we would give not out of duty, that we wouldn't feel pressured, but it would be out of sheer delight in who you are and what you've done uh, for us. And then, Father, as we're obedient, as we give according to your direction, uh, we trust that you will provide the entire $350,000 prior to May 1st so that we can uh, get this project uh, completed uh, next year. And Father, we uh, trust you're going to make this provision uh, through you working in our hearts and lives. We do pray you would pour out on our church a spirit of grace giving, a spirit of generosity. But Lord, we know you're not limited to this church family. Uh, And so Lord, we ultimately are looking to you uh, to uh, make this provision and make this provision in such a way that it would resound to your praise and glory. That when we come to the end of it all, there'll be no other explanation than God did it. And it would invoke blessing, praise to you. And Lord, I look forward to that day uh, when the work will be completed. And I trust on that, at that time, we'll be all able to get out there in that courtyard or up above the courtyard, the entire church family, and just have a time of praise, a time of worship, Uh, even as Nehemiah And the folks praised you, and that joy was heard from afar. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we would gather outside and that our joy, our praise would be heard uh, afar uh, in this community. And again, that it would resound to the praise and glory of your grace. So, Lord, we we commit this to you, that it would be done uh, from you, through you, and to you. Uh, Again, to the praise and glory of Jesus, for it's in his name we do pray. Amen.